Hey, somebody's out there. If we've not met, I'm Nathan Brand. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, we're glad you're here to worship with us. Before we get going, we are going to dismiss children for Children's Church, and that's ages uh, 4 through 1st grade. And you can follow Ms. Paula Schwartz and David Alderman out this north door. You know, here at Berean, we have a a purpose or a mission statement, and it's this. It's in your bulletin. So Berean Community Church, we're about pursuing God. We're about preparing people and proclaiming Christ. And yesterday, the elder board, we sat down and we're kind of looking at that and how we're doing as far as executing that. But one thing that's true about this church is that we are a, a church that's been called together, a family. And so we've decided that we're going to add to that, that phrase, pursuing God, preparing people, proclaiming Christ. We're going to add to the end of it, together. Because it's not just, we don't do this just as individuals. We do this together as a body that he has called us to be a part of. And so you'll be hearing more about that in the, the next few months, about how that affects, just how we view that and how we live that out. But I want to just tell you about one of those together moments. You know, our, our small groups are called Life Together Groups. And uh, I told this story beforehand uh, earlier this year. In January, uh, my pickup truck, my amazing automobile, um was having a few problems. One of the problems was that there was no heat coming out of it. And so I brought it to Cliff Johnson's heated garage, and his, he and Josh Curran came out, and we all you know, put our heads together, and we figured out that the, the heater core was gouged up, and so we ran actually toilet cleaner through the, the system, and that cleaned it out, and I had heat. But one of the other things that, that happened during that time is I also said, you know, guys, I, my truck seems to have problems shifting. It, you know, I, the RPMs get up and it's shifting from one gear to another. It seems to be a problem. And we decided to look at the transmission fluid. And so, you know, we, if you know anything about auto mechanics, you have to have the car running in order to, to do this. And we pulled out the dipstick. And it was in park. And it seemed to be okay. But then we noticed a little fine print that says, in order to see this, you have to have the car in neutral. And so we put on you know, the, the emergency brake and put the car in neutral and discovered it was low. It was low. You can't get a good reading on a Dodge pickup truck of your transmission fluid unless it is in neutral. But here's the other point. You can't go anywhere in a Dodge pickup truck unless the, car, the truck is in gear. You can rev the engine in neutral. It sounds like it's going somewhere. You can even put it on a downhill. You can push it. But you're not really going to get anywhere unless you put it in gear. We have been going through Luke chapter 12 for quite a few weeks now. And the big picture theme of that chapter is living for eternity. Something beyond this life. Jesus' eternal kingdom, if you will. And we'll experience that kingdom based on how we respond to 
him in this life. And during this whole chapter, there's a crowd that's been listening, observing Jesus as he talks to his disciples. And now he's calling them to get it out of neutral, if you will. To put things in gear and respond to him in faith, if you will, in following him. And Jesus confronts them, really. He really asks them, if I'm going to change metaphors, to get off the fence. So if you want to read along with me the passage we're looking at today, it's in Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 59, and it's going to be projected behind me here. And these are Jesus' words. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge. And the judge, in turn, turn you over to the officer. And the officer throw you into prison. And I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue digging into God's Word here. Lord Jesus, as we sang earlier, we ask you to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we might see you for who you truly are, that we might hear your words for the message they're trying to convey to our hearts. And would you give us grace to respond to the message you have for us today. Lord, these words are for our good, for our spiritual health, for our life. Would you help us to see that? And would you help us to respond in turn? Lord Jesus, it is in your name we pray these things. Amen. Well, at the beginning of this passage, of all things, Jesus starts talking about the weather. How to interpret the weather, whether it's going to be hot, whether it's going to rain. And it makes perfect sense in light of this, this uh, community. He says in verse 54, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. This makes perfect sense because Israel on the west coast is bound by the Mediterranean Sea, right? You look out there and you see a cloud, and that cloud is gathering moisture. Lake effect or ocean effect, if you will. Bringing in that moisture, and it brings about rain. Makes sense. We see this actually taking place in 1 Kings chapter 18, where the prophet Elijah, after three years of it not raining, prays for it to rain. And his servant looks out over the ocean and sees this small cloud that grows and grows and finally brings on a torrent of rain. 
In similar fashion, verse 55 says this, And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot. And it is. Again, similar geography. From the south, the wind blows up from the Negev, bringing the blasting heat, and you got a heat wave. It reminds me of the first year I moved to North Platte. It was a summer where it was just hot and windy. It felt like living in a blow dryer. But that's what it was like. These people were good at predicting the weather and what you observe. And, you know, it's interesting being a pastor and having to make that call whether to close church or not close church. Back on February 4th, you know, 20, uh, I think it was February 24th, that big snow uh, you know, that came that day and shut down all of Rochester. But I'll tell you, I'm sitting there kind of going, you know, we're Minnesotans. We, a little snow, that's not going to bother us. But, you know, then when I finally saw it, was like up to my window. It's like, okay, maybe we should close. And then again, I've made the wrong call. Back on April 10th, we were supposed to have our Awana Grand Prix, and it was snowing all day. And I'm thinking, man, this is just going to continue. But by the evening, it was not a whole lot. I wasn't so good at predicting the weather or the conditions would be. But these people were. But Jesus ups the ante in their observation. In verse 56, he says, Hypocrites! Whoa! You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you do not know how to interpret this present time? (laughs) You're really good at at knowing what's going to come. How is it that you're not using these same powers of observation to interpret what God is doing through me? Through me, the Messiah. And what Jesus is calling this crowd to do, and ultimately calling us to do, is to get off the fence. Get off the fence with Him. You see, this crowd had been observing Him. They saw Him do miracles. John the Baptist, while he was in prison, you know, wondering, what's going on here? Jesus. He sends word to Jesus. And this is the word that Jesus sends back. You go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And blessed, listen to this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is what the crowd saw Jesus doing in his public ministry. But they still kept Jesus at arms like they still weren't sure. In fact, what they wanted him to do was to do more. More signs and miracles on their demand, if you will. And Jesus responds in Luke eleven twenty nine says, This wicked generation asks for a sign. But none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Saying, Jesus, do it again. Jump through our hoops to prove who you are. And Jesus says, no. No, because there's an insatiable desire to see the miracle man do whatever the crowd wants. Faith does not necessarily come by the showing of signs and wonders. If that were true... What happened to the children of Israel in the desert would have changed their faith response. 
God showed His power over and over again, and yet their next response was, have you brought us out here into the desert to leave us? Signs do not necessarily elicit faith. But they also saw how He conducted Himself, how He treated people with a redemptive manner. And earlier in this gospel, we looked at chapter 7, where Jesus is at this party, where there are a lot of religious experts, the Pharisees, watching Jesus. And then this woman who has a reputation, a woman of ill repute, comes in, and she comes and she weeps at Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. And the religious people around him say, if Jesus were the Messiah, if he really were a man of God, he would know about this woman. And then Jesus goes on to tell a parable. A parable of two debtors, one who owed millions of dollars, one who owed very little. Now who would be more grateful? We don't realize that we owe God. They saw this. They saw how Jesus treated people with redemptive grace. And they also heard his teaching. Teaching with authority. Not just saying, Rabbi, so-and-so says this. Or teacher, so-and-so says this. He says, but I say. He's saying, I say. And oftentimes it was in contradiction to the religious experts, to the Pharisees. Again, in the same chapter, verse 1, he says, Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. See, Jesus says it isn't about keeping up appearances, about appearing godly. It's actually about taking God at His word. This crowd saw all of this, yet they were too comfortable in staying on the fence. They loved it when Jesus would do signs. They loved his teaching. No one else was teaching and preaching like him. No one else was showing the hand of compassion that he was showing. But to take the next step, to follow him as God's Messiah, as God's Son, the one who brings the kingdom of God, that was too much for some. Too much because he demanded too much. It was too radical, too life-changing, too dependent upon something else besides self. It's easier to stay on the fence. And just, yeah, he's, he's a good guy. I like him. I just don't know if I'm ready to put my hat in the ring, if you will. I don't know if I'm ready to get off the fence. I'm going to ask you, have you gotten off the fence with Jesus? Or are you just kind of keeping him at arm's length? Yeah, he's a good teacher. He had a lot of good things to say. Man, I loved how Jesus dealt with people. And I love reading about his miracles. But have you decided to take that step to get off the fence, to follow him, to put your faith in him, to put your trust in him? Because Jesus will not allow us to remain neutral. He is the God who put on flesh. He proactively entered history. He's the only one who would conquer sin and death. That's what last week was all about. 
the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and it makes all the difference in this life and for the next. And Jesus has changed all of history. You can't be neutral about Jesus. You can decide to not follow him. You can say, okay, I I don't want to follow him. Or he's he's a charlatan. He's a faker. But if you're going to take him seriously for what he proclaimed about himself, then you have to get off the fence and decide to follow him. What's keeping you from doing that today if you've not made that decision? I'm just going to let that question linger there for a moment because Jesus gets even more challenging here in the next words. Pick it up at verse 57. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge. And the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. And I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, Jesus has moved from the weather to the courtroom. How do we make sense of what Jesus is saying here? Is he just trying to give practical legal advice? I don't think so. Jesus is using the language of the Roman debtor's system, not the Hebrew debtor system. You see, see, in the Hebrew debtor system, if you got into debt, you could sell yourself into slavery, slavery or servitude and work off the debt. In the Roman debtor system, it was this. You had a debt, you'd bought, be arraigned, brought before the magistrate, or, and he would make a decision about, you know, that you did owe, and then you would be thrown into prison. And someone had to pay the debt for you. You were stuck there until someone paid the debt for you. Jesus uses this parable to point to a greater spiritual reality and destination. Again, Jesus brings the kingdom of God. And in this chapter even, Jesus says He's come to bring a fire in verse 49. That is judgment. And so in this parable, in this parable, Jesus is saying, we all have a court date. And God, in this story, is the adversary. Strange to hear, but it's true. The holy God is the adversary because we have offended Him by our rebellion against Him, by our decision to do things our own way. We have a debt to Him. And He is the one, Jesus says, we are called to be reconciled to along the way or to be released. But He's also, in this story, the judge. He's the judge, the one before we have to stand at the end of our lives or when He returns or at the end of time, if you will. And He will judge whether we owe Him a debt or not. Whether we have been reconciled whether we can be set free or we still owe him a debt. And he's also at the end the officer, the prison guard, if you will, who enforces the punishment for those who have not sought to be reconciled to the one whom they own a great debt. 
Here's the message that Jesus is trying to get across with this illustration. Don't wait until judgment day. Don't wait till the day of the Lord. Don't wait till the end of time. Don't even wait till the end of your life to get things right with the judge of all. You have to be reconciled to Him. You have to be reconciled to the one you're indebted to. But here's the question. How? How can we be reconciled? Because we can never be good enough. We can't meet God's perfect standard. We don't have enough money. There's no amount of riches that can make up for our rebellion. We are in complete poverty. The response is this. To repent. To turn toward God. To get off the throne. Really, is the point. To confess to God that you are indeed indebted to Him for your sin and rebellion against Him. To trust what He has done and the one He has sent in Jesus Christ. And were you to turn towards Him let Him be in charge. Let Him get on the throne of your life rather than you making all the calls with your self-will or my self-will. Allow Him on the throne. That's how you are reconciled. How you are set free. You know, again, here at Berean, we talk about pursuing God. The truth is, of the gospel is that God has been pursuing us. The one who we offended has been pursuing us. That's the amazing truth. <laughs> because he is both the offended party and he is the reconciler, the peacemaker, the debt payer. From a legal standpoint, when we confess our sin, our indebtedness to Him, when we place our faith in what He would do on the cross in taking our place, our penalty to pay our cross for the debt that we owed. And by the way, that's why Jesus said what He said on the cross in John chapter 19.30. He said, it is finished. The Greek word tetelestai, that means it is paid in full. How you released from that debt? You put your faith in what Jesus has done as He has taken your place. But not only that, He rose from the dead, conquered sin and death, and it is a guarantee of eternal life. And by the way, that's just the beginning of life in Christ. It's not just pie in the sky, hey, I got my, I got my fire insurance taken care of. No, Jesus wants to come and then live in you and through you. It's the truth of what the Apostle Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, that I had been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who's living, but Christ who lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That's the good news. The bad news or the reality is this is not for those who remain on the fence about Jesus. Those who remain neutral about Him. And look, folks, I'm nobody's judge. 
but you may know about him. You may know he was a good man, he was a great man, he was the best man who ever lived. You may know how he died on the cross. You may know that he's even risen from the dead. But have you truly gotten off the fence to put your faith in him and follow him? You know, it's interesting, again, the Gospel of John, I'm switching Gospels here for a moment. But the first chapter of John, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own received him not. But the next verse is this, But to as many as received him, even those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. It is that receiving and believing of what He has done, what He has accomplished, and then inviting Him to come and sit on the throne of your life rather than let it, letting yourself continue to call all the shots. You know, I've been following Jesus. Goodness, I can't even count now. Four decades plus. And here's what I want to say. I have to choose still daily to let Jesus be on the throne. And as I've followed Him, He's called me to make choices, to let go of things that I think that I want to hold on to. I live here in Minnesota. My family lives in California. But I know Jesus has called me to be here. And I'm not feeling sorry for myself, folks. I'm just telling you, that's... That is the call of Jesus upon my life, to follow Him. There's some things I have to say no to for myself that I want. And some of those things are getting rid of silly and foolish things. Confession before you all. This last week, I had to, I had to get rid of Angry Birds off of my iPad. It's a benign, silly game, right? But here's what I found. I just was wasting time. Wasting time trying to get to the next level and kind of going, what am I doing here? Get rid of things. But I want to tell you this. For anything he's called me to get rid of, Jesus has always backfilled with himself and with his goodness. Indeed, John, Jesus says in John 10.10, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. If you've been around Berean, you know what my life verse is. It's Psalm 16.2. And it says this in the NIV. It says, David would say, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. Folks, that's been my experience. I'm not saying I've experienced all the goodness of God. But in comparison to some of the good things in life I've experienced, I still say, apart from you, God, I have no good thing. And that's what I want to say to you if you're on the fence, if you're wondering what it would mean to let Jesus come in and sit on the throne of your life. Because we're scared. We're scared about what Jesus might call us to do. He might make me a missionary to Africa. 
He might call me to let go of something that I'm holding on to that's really probably not healthy for my soul. But we want to hold on to it. We want to hold on to control. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. You can, you can trust me. I've come for your good. I've come for your life. But again, he's calling us out of spiritual neutrality. He's calling us out of spiritual apathy. And he is warning us. He is warning us. If we don't deal with this, there will be a judge to stand before. And folks, again, this is not my word. This is Jesus' words. Because there will be a day when we have to stand before the Father and He's going to ask, what did you do with my Son? We are on our way to the magistrate. Will we be reconciled? Will we be set free? I'm going to end with this story. When I was in seminary, the first sermon I ever preached before my classmates and the, and the homiletics professor was this, Romans 3, excuse me, Romans 6, 23. And it's a verse that's familiar to so many of us who have gone through Awana or just have walked with Jesus for a while. And it says this, the first words are, the wages of sin is death. And I was trying on my, you know, fire and brimstone chops there. And I drove that point home. I talked about how sin brings death physically. I talked about how sin brings death relationally. I talked about how sin brings death emotionally. And that's what I drove home in that sermon. And my professor, very kindly, Dr. Olson, pulled me aside and says, you know, that was very nice. However, let me advise you, you have to let the Word of God sting. The wages of sin is death. But you also have to let it sing. Because the second half of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus in this passage is calling us to get off the fence. He's calling us to get off the throne. Not so he can put us in bondage, so that we can have life in him. And so, friend, if I've wounded you or offended you with Jesus' words, I hope it drives you towards him. Because that's his purpose today. To drive you towards his life. And his abundant life and his goodness. And that's what I want you to know today. Let me pray, and then I'll ask the worship team to come up and close us in worship today. So, dear Lord Jesus, you don't allow us to remain neutral with you. You ask us to make a choice. And I pray that if there's somebody who's seeking to wonder if you, to know that you are who you really are, I pray you'll be opening the eyes of their heart today. 
that they might respond? Would you draw them to yourself? Would you help connect them with somebody who can help them answer the questions that they have? But we are grateful that you are an amazing grace savior. And you make your way known. And you want to give us your life. Life that is abundant and life that is eternal. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be doing that work. Giving us grace to give you the throne every day. And it's in your name, Lord, I pray these things. Amen.